I actually think LinkedIn has created some level of intimacy with me and my sales team. So one thing I've found that's been really interesting, and I don't see a lot of leaders in corporate America taking risks on LinkedIn or being vulnerable. I think this comes back to insecurities is this shield of I'm perfect kind of a thing. And I've found, as I've talked about alcohol use in corporate America, I've talked about being let go from an organization. I've talked about things that people maybe would go, "Eh, I don't know if you should talk about that. And I've gained a lot of traction with kind of doing the opposite of what people have told me in some cases, because people feel like I'm a real person. And at the end of the day, we write more of our own story than we realize, but no one's going to do it for you. You got to go do it for yourself. I'm on this journey with me. Each week when you join me, we are going to chase down our goals, overcome adversity, and set you up for a better tomorrow. I'm ready for my close-up. Hi, and welcome back. I'm so excited for you to hear what went down this week. As you know, every week we have one guest a week, and then we have our solo episode. If you haven't been checking out the solo episodes, check them out. They are fire. It's just you and me hanging together. But today we have a new guest on the show, but it happened in a way that is so unique and different. And as you know, I am always listening to the signs that are coming or the signals out there. And it was funny. I had put a post up on LinkedIn where I always am. If you're not on LinkedIn, follow me there. But I was on LinkedIn. I I put a post up. I don't even remember what exactly it was. It was something about the podcast. And all of a sudden, I had people commenting, hey, Heather, you need to interview Andrew. Hey, Heather, Andrew's got to be a guest on the show. And I've never had a group of different people advocate so strongly and aggressively for someone to be a guest on the show. They were listeners of the show, so they know the show. So I listen to the signs. I take the signals as direction. And we've got Andrew Metz here today. Andrew, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Good to hear there's fans out there. That's awesome. That's always great, right? To know that people have your back. And so that's what I want to learn a little bit about today, why they thought you were such a great fit for the show. And as I did some digging into your background, it looks like you've had a series of highs and lows. And I was hoping you could give everybody a little bit of insight into what that looked like. Yeah, I appreciate that. Some of the folks that maybe were advocating for me were people I've directly worked with over the years and uh, been very fortunate to have a similar kind of climb through corporate America like you have as well and being promoted several times. And through that time, you build trust with people as you get to work with them. And I served with a team of six and grew to a team of 20. And now I'm overseeing a a sales org of a hundred people. So it hasn't happened overnight. It takes a lot of time, but it's been a fun run. And I think that creates, you know, the more time that you can exceed expectations of your promises, the the more trust you're going to create with people. Yeah. And not only in sales, but just in general, trust is really that missing element in so many relationships that bridges that gap between, you know, just knowing of someone and really doing business or partnering with them. I was just having this conversation yesterday. So I'm glad that you brought that up. One of the topics that I know you've spoken on, which is interesting because most of my male guests never touch on this. (laughs) I really want to go down this road because it is such a popular topic these days is imposter syndrome. Yeah, what what I've found, and maybe this is just me being brutally honest throughout the process, but I think because I've had street credibility of my organization going through the ranks, I started as a BDR. For people who don't know what a BDR is, can you explain that? 
a business development rep or might be known as a sales development rep, but it's a fancy term for cold callers. As I like to tell people that enter the org, I say my first year I made cold calls and cleaned the toilets, which is partially true. And I've always had a lot of confidence in what I was good at. And that was originally cold calling. And then I you know, sold for my organization. And then I was a frontline leader and a second line leader and so on and so forth. But I also was never afraid to admit what I didn't know. The real buzzword out in the LinkedIn world is vulnerability, right? In the last couple of years. And I think I was doing vulnerability before it was cool. It was just my way of not over-promising and under-delivering. I wasn't going to tell someone I knew something that I didn't know. And the thought of imposter syndrome is simply the feeling that you're unworthy or you don't exist. And everyone has that to some degree. I have that talking to you right now, right? It's like, what can I bring to Heather Monahan's world? So I certainly appreciate the opportunity, but there's also a voice inside of all of us that should encourage us to dampen that because when you get that imposter syndrome feeling, it really means you're out of your comfort zone. It means you're doing something you haven't done before. And usually when we're proud of an accomplishment or an experience we had, it was something that was uncomfortable initially. And uh, we look back on it going, hey, I wasn't sure if I could do it, but maybe I failed or maybe I succeeded. But either way, you got to give yourself credit for taking the shot. Well, just your own journey, right? Starting out as someone jumping into the cold calling world, which P.S. Hey, I've been there as well. You know, I'm sure on day one, you weren't the best cold caller with the best closing rates, you know, out of everyone. Of course. And that's part of it is having the thick skin to take the rejection and, and really being okay with failing, looking at failure as the opportunity to learn, right? The cliche is it's not what happens to us, it's how we respond. But that's true in a lot of cases. And, you know, sales is a good microcosm of life where you're going to go scrape your knee a little bit and it's how do you you react and are you going to change your approach next time based upon what you learned? And from that, you build confidence from there to approach it differently the next time. And you also figure out that failure is not as scary as people think, right? People are embracing for, oh God, how bad is it going to be or the rejection. And once you find out that the show goes on the next day, it gives you a little more perspective to have more confidence, to take more risks. So true. It's like anything, the more times that you're at bat, the more comfortable you're going to get when you step into the batter's box. It is no different with failure. Although I definitely had a very different opinion of it, you know, when I was back in quote unquote corporate America, but I want to jump in a little bit more to the imposter syndrome to hear your thoughts on my experience with imposter syndrome was, I remember I was advocating for myself to be promoted from executive vice president to chief revenue officer. And I remember thinking, am I even qualified for this? You know, I don't have a master's. I'm younger. Back then I was younger than the other people, you know, at the C-suite level. I didn't have as many years experience in the company as they did. So I second guessed myself, but there's something probably from the competitive nature of who I am that pushes myself into these situations, even though I don't know if I'm qualified. So there was always that trepidation and fear. What if they actually say yes, then what? And so they ended up saying yes. And I'll tell you, this was a game-changing moment for me, Andrew, was when I finally was appointed to the C-suite position and my first big you know, executive meeting as a C-suite executive, I realized, wait a minute, this is the biggest scam going. I get paid more. <laughs> I have more resources. I have more autonomy and control. Wait a minute. It's easier at this level, it would truly was, it was actually easier and it is the biggest scam going. And so that's one thing I want to impart on everybody. 
I was so wrong. I was overqualified for all the reasons why I thought I wasn't because I was bringing my unique skill set to this table that needed it, desperately needed it. And I was actually already doing the work just with a, a more junior level title. So a lot of this stuff is just, it's not real. It's built up in our minds. Have you seen it that same way? Well, yeah, I think you bring up a good point is the real hard work comes from those that are on the front lines. And I've always kind of living through the lens of gratitude because I was on the front lines for so long. I made cold calls for my company for almost two years before I took a meeting. And then I carried a bag, as we say, which means you're out in the field carrying a quota for three and a half years. And so I know how hard it was. And to your point, those are the people that are really moving the needle. Once you kind of move up the corporate ladder, you kind of mentioned peeking behind the Wizard of Oz, the curtain a little bit where it's like, oh, so what do you do here kind of a thing? And there's a tremendous amount of responsibility. And I don't want to downplay that. But to your point, I think there's other folks that if you keep them engaged and you show that you care about them and you continue to challenge them and and invest in them so that they can grow in their career, they're going to be really loyal to you and the leadership. And I think when leadership kind of gets that ivory tower out of touch or they don't understand how hard it is and they're kind of making these assumptive, hey, make more cold calls, do this, do that, without that layer of empathy, I think that's when they lose they lose the trust in the team. And that's something I'm, I mean, I just did a, I did a one-on-one meeting with one of my 85 reps yesterday that I do monthly. It's hard to scale that, but my biggest fear as I've moved through the ranks is that I get out of touch with what's going on in the streets. Because I think once you do that, that's a quick way to lose the respect of your team. And, you know, in this market, we're an extremely competitive market. People will, people have a freelance mentality, which I think is good. It keeps leadership honest to go, just like a salesperson goes, what's my unique value prop? I'm asking myself all the time, what's our unique value prop as a leadership team that people want to continue to work here? And really comes down to showing that you care and there's incentives and comp and all that stuff. But it's really about an investment quality in, I'm going to make you a better seller, whether you leave here tomorrow or six years from now, you're going to be a better seller because you've been on my team. When starting out a new business, it's a complete pain to get through the LLC part. Taylor Brands makes it 90% easier. It's easy and affordable to get your LLC with Taylor Brands. Taylor Brands offers all the legal requirements for LLCs, such as registered agent, annual compliance, EIN, operating agreement, business license and permits, and much more. Taylor Brands walks you through each step of building a successful business and has everything you need all in one place. Bookkeeping, invoicing, business licenses and permits, business documents, bank accounts, and so much more. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using this link, taylorbrands.com slash confidence. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash confidence. So get started today with Taylor Brands. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. 
accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. I want you to know that finding ways to be more efficient, cut costs, and get rid of errors and mistakes can completely transform your business, boost your performance at the same time. This is why you need NetSuite now. Now, through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash Monahan. netsuite.com slash Monahan. NetSuite.com slash Monahan. When I started podcasting, an online store was the furthest thing from my mind. Now I'm selling my group coaching on the regular, and it is just so easy, all because I use Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soaps or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling. Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star. I didn't know what I was going to do when I got fired. Launching my own business seemed so intimidating. I didn't know how to set up a website and I really didn't need to. Shopify does it all for you and they make it so easy. It was that breakthrough moment for me that I realized I can do this. I can go to work for myself. Thanks to Shopify. What I love about Shopify is you don't need to have all this technology information ready to, you don't need to know how to plan and run things. You just need to go to the platform, turn it on and know what you're selling. And Shopify is going to help you figure out the rest. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries, including your girl right here. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash monahan all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Monahan now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Monahan. No matter what stage you're at, they're going to make it easy. The biggest, most epic fails that I saw at the highest levels in companies was when they were detached from reality and they would only see things as numbers on a spreadsheet, which truly, in my opinion, is the most epic fail. And, you know, you can look at the results as well. When leaders like that take over, it, it is a fail. So to that point, how are you able to, because you brought up the point, it's tough to scale. I was running marketplaces all around the country and like you, it was so hard to scale. I was on a plane every single week trying to get that one-on-one -on -one FaceTime with people, trying to find out what was happening in the streets of Las Vegas differently than what was happening in Philadelphia. Because there are differences, right? And you mm -hmm. have to acknowledge them. As much as you want to say it's a numbers game, 
it truly isn't. And, and leadership's different in different marketplaces and competitive situations are different, right? So as much as we want to say it's one simple strategy, it never truly is. So how do you find ways to keep that personal touch and scale? That's a challenge. It's been a challenge as I've moved through. Right? It was easy with six people. It was harder with 20 and it's almost impossible with 100, at least on a, on a weekly basis. I think about leveraging my time in larger platforms, but intimate settings. So I did a lunch this Tuesday with our BDR team and there's 12 people that are on the team and they do a Q&A for an hour. And, you know, they talk about my career and cold call strategies and all that stuff. It's small enough where they feel like they get to know me, but that's hard to do in a one-on-one setting. I actually think LinkedIn has created some level of intimacy with me and my sales team. So one thing I've found that's been really interesting and I certainly don't have the audience you have, but I don't see a lot of leaders in corporate America taking risks on LinkedIn or being vulnerable. And once again, I think this comes back to insecurities is this, you know, shield of I'm perfect kind of a thing. And I've found, as I've talked about, you know, I have three young kids under the age of 10. I've talked about, you know, alcohol use in corporate America. I've talked about, you know, being let go from an organization. I've talked about things that people maybe would go, eh, I don't know. If, I don't know if you should talk about that. And I found the, you know, I think I've gotten, a, I've gained a lot of traction with kind of doing the opposite of what people have told me in some cases, because people feel like I'm a real person. And then, you know, I go on a podcast or do an interview with someone, or I meet with someone for the first time. Like I do a lot of interviewing and the crazy thing about LinkedIn that I didn't have five years ago is because I put out content, people that are interviewing me feel like, you know, just like you, it's like they hear your, you know, your podcast or they see your LinkedIn content or they've read your books and they feel like they know you before they've met you. Right. So we're kind of scoring points before the game starts. And for me, it's been an invaluable tool for recruiting and leadership and that sort of thing. So once again, it's how do you scale it, but how do you keep it real? And to me, there's still taking the time. It's I focus on what's a meaningful activity I'm going to do, because just like everyone else, you know, there's 24 hours in the day. I have a busy family, personal life, just like everyone else. And I'd much rather spend time one-on-one in conversations or in the field or in the office, having meaningful conversations, even if that's just talking life, than sitting behind a spreadsheet or refreshing dashboards and barking at people. Oh, I so agree with you. And you, you're cracking me up. Okay. A couple of things I want to point out guys that Andrew brought up there, I think are super important. Number one, when you're trying to scale and have more of an intimate, real touch point with people to get to know them, to build that trust, It's such a great idea to do what you described, which is bring a lunch group together or a dinner group where you have more real conversations. And maybe it's not just one-on-one, maybe it's one in 15, right? Or you're sitting down 15 or 20 of your top people, but that is so smart. I actually just did a a recorded podcast episode about this and about the right strategies, the right questions to ask to really engage the room, to open up, make it more emotional and full of gratitude. And I think you are spot on, right? That is such a smart strategy. If you're listening and you're trying to be more in touch with your teams, definitely try this approach. It works. And I will find out what that other episode is because I never know which week anything is launching and I will put it in the show notes. Super interesting stuff. Okay. So that's number one. I love that approach. And number two, to your point around vulnerability, I very rarely see anyone show up very vulnerable. When people do on LinkedIn, those posts go viral and it's for a reason, right? My most viral post I've ever had to this day, which got millions of views, was the day I got fired and I posted, hey, I've just got fired. If I've ever helped you, I need to hear from you. Now, I will 
put a, a sidebar footnote on this, right? So for me, the day that I decided to take, you know, that cover off or that veil of corporate BS and lean into just being the real me, that's when my social media exploded. And yes, you create community so much faster. People completely think they know you. It's incredible. Anyone who isn't forward-facing and being a brawl and brawl on social media, you are missing a huge opportunity. You will regret it. If yesterday was the right time, today's the only time, get on there and do it now. Now, here's my one caveat. So funny that this actually just happened today. A friend of mine was setting me up and connecting me to someone they wanted me to go out on a date with. And little, I never thought about this. As much as people know me from a business sense, you know, a transparency sense, somebody that would be knowing that they were going to be potentially taking me out could Google me and start seeing all of my content. And it was the funniest thing to hear someone that was asking me on a a date to say, oh, I heard that your feet are smelly, Heather. That's so interesting in one of your talks. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is the first time ever that this information is being used in this way. It's actually pretty funny. So 99% of the time, it is amazing to show, show up with vulnerability on LinkedIn. So thank you so much for bringing that up. All right, talk to me about building confidence in your teams, confidence in your people, not in yourself, but how do you uplift and build confidence within others? Yeah, so a lot of who I work with, I would say is you know professionals earlier on in their career and they might be in their 20s or 30s and it's usually not their first job, but maybe their second, third sales job. And I think they're always trying to find their ground and their footing and one of the things that I really focus on is, you know, you can rah-rah people and, you, yeah, you should go congratulate them when they're having success. And, you know, you should give them direction and challenge them when they're not doing what they need to do. That's all part of coaching and leadership. But one of the things that I found that has gained a lot of traction is once someone's kind of establishes their footing is creating a mentor-mentee situation where even if they just know a little Teaching someone something they didn't know builds your confidence a lot. So we actually have a formal mentor-mentee set up in our organization. So if a brand new seller comes on, they go through a bootcamp training, which is eight weeks, but they're also assigned a, a sales rep that's a mentor. And that mentor doesn't need to be there for 10 years. They could be there six months. But the idea is once people learn that I just need to know a little more than the next person to be helpful, that helps establish a, a level of Oh, I can help someone, right? So there's an opportunity there. I think the other thing that I've really tried to focus on in my leadership career that that I received early on was, you know, catch them in the act of doing something good. I think people are usually waiting for managers to, you know, yell at them for not, you know, for missing the quota, not making enough calls. And I periodically like to go look at stats or we use technology like Gong where we can record demos and try to find things that they didn't know I was looking to say, hey, I thought you did an excellent job here. And I think that gives people the confidence level to go, I didn't know someone was looking over my shoulder, but the fact that they're complimenting me gives me a lot of confidence that I'm doing the right thing. So I think those are simple strategies, but you know, helping someone with something that they didn't know, especially as you're trying to gain your footing. And then from a leadership perspective is complimenting them, catch them in the act of doing something good. I think they're usually waiting to be maybe a little more gun shy of, of being corrected and just a pat on the back when, when it's unexpected goes a long way. I love that idea of catching someone doing something good. That is not the norm out there. However, that is why people are advocating for you to be on this show for sure. All right, share some tips with us around how do you get up and give a strong presentation when you're not feeling your best or you're feeling uncertain? What are some of the strategies that you lean on to make sure that when you're presenting, when you're actually in there holding a meeting, that you show up and do the best and most powerful job you can do? 
one of the things I like to do that I don't see enough is not just participation with the audience, but I like to reference people in the audience of past things they've done. You know, there's something to, to do a Q&A or go, what do you guys think? And you get people, but I like going, I just saw last week, so-and-so do this and, you know, so-and-so does a great job of this. And I think using people's names, keep them engaged, but it also shows you're paying attention, you're listening. It's And it feels good when a leader has acknowledged you, uh, especially if it's something you weren't aware that they were aware of. So it kind of shows that like you're you're keeping an eye on things. The other thing I would say is, I mean, I've never been a big overly scripted, no person. I'm kind of big into that improv aspect, but definitely having some bullet points of what I'm talking about. But I'm big into trying to use humor in a comic relief setting. I think corporate America is too stuffy in general. I think people take themselves too seriously. I grew up in a blended family of six. I was the I was the fourth. And, you know, I was always looking for attention. So to me, the the comic relief of this feels too serious um, is good. And I think people want to work in an environment where you can joke about yourself a little bit and not take yourself too seriously. I think that's refreshing and I don't see it enough. And I think when leaders appear out of touch or arrogant, I think it's a very unattractive quality. Oh my gosh. It's the worst. And those are always the people that are the most insecure. If you're trying yes. <laughs> to show up and pretend you're perfect or pretend you're better than others, it's because you actually are suffering so much inside. And I remember, I don't know why people didn't tell us this when we, we were younger, but I remember, you know, when I was younger working for people like that and thinking, oh gosh, they've got all the answers. They've got it together. You know, cut to a few years later when I pulled that curtain back and I saw, oh no, they're actually the ones that are so scared of what everybody else thinks. So for everyone listening right now, that person that you think is perfect, that you think is so arrogant, know that they are struggling so much more worse than you. Try to have a little empathy or compassion for them because that's got to be a really painful situation to be in. All right. So I know that you mentioned that you're a parent. So how does leading your children and building confidence in your children differ from your teams at work? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Maybe you can help me. I've tried to implement some of the same sales strategies and leadership strategies on the home front. It's different. I have a 10-year-old and eight-year-old boys. Actually, I have a son named Dylan. I think you do too. And I have a three-year-old Luna, my little girl. And I've tried to allow them to, they have to be good people. They have chores, they have responsibilities. They got to hold the door for people. There's things that I, that are deal breakers for me. But uh, when it comes to sports activities, musical instruments, hobbies, I really want them to just find what they're passionate about. And I've tried really hard not to push. And I think to some degree, I've I set some pressure expectations of what I do in my own personal life, but I don't want them to feel like they have to live up to something, not to say I'm so great, but they've seen me, you know, I've kind of gone through my own transformation in the last five years and, you know, out of shape and kind of stagnant in my life to, you know, becoming a marathon runner and quitting alcohol and doing a bunch of things that they've seen me go through that journey. And um, I think one of the things that I really want them to do is find out what they're passionate about at an early age. And that could be my 10 year old just said, I, I don't want to play the violin anymore. And I don't want them to quit on things if they committed to it. But we went into this going, let's see if this is the instrument for you. And if it's not, then let's, we, we can find something else. So I'm trying to allow them to find their own way. My my sales approach was always, I'm not going to hard close people. I'm definitely aggressive and I'm, I'll definitely challenge people. 
but I want people to buy. I don't want them to feel sold. And in my space, I sell to salespeople. And I always think about how I buy myself. I go, yeah, I don't want to be sold. I'm the sales guy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sell you kind of a thing. So there's a little reverse psychology. There's a little bit of you want what you can't have to some degree. But in parenting, to me, it's it's about leading by example myself. So my actions speak louder than my words, and they see how. I treat my wife. They see how, you know, we were at Mount Rushmore and there was someone with a uh, Vietnam war hat. And I just said, thank you for our service. And, you know, this guy was very complimentary. Oh, enough people don't say it. And then my eight-year-old at the time was asking me why I did what I did. Right. So it's, I'm not preaching to him. He's seeing me do things and I'm explaining to him why I carry on, but I didn't say you have to do this. Right. I just, if he thinks it's a, it's a good way to live your life, then they're going to follow. And I think I've had that same mentality in corporate America too. I just think your actions are always going to speak louder than your words. It's very cliche, but it's powerful in real life. And when people say to do things and then they don't back it up with their actions, that's a way to demotivate people. CBDistillery.com is giving you an exclusive offer and it's huge right now. You can get up to 30% off everything. If you've struggled with sleep, stress, or pain after physical activity, CBDistillery.com has a targeted plant-powered solution just for you. I love hearing how many of you have seen improvement in your daily life, thanks to CBD. So if better sleep, more calm, and relief from discomfort after physical activity sounds good to you, you should explore CBD. Don't miss this massive sale and get up to 30% off your order. Visit cbdistillery.com and enter VIP. That's cbdistillery.com and enter VIP at cbdistillery.com. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, and South Dakota. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you brought up something interesting that you had this big personal transformation, made some very significant changes to your life over the last five years. What was the catalyst for that? And how have you learned from that situation? And how can you apply it to when you see other people in challenging situations? Yeah, to me, the catalyst was stagnant feeling of life, career, health. I thought of myself as a good athlete. I was voted best athlete in my high school class of 360, which you would laugh if you would meet me because I don't, I don't look like anything special. And then I had, you know, I had this moment at the corporate 5K where I'm walking the 5K and, you know, I've just kind of slipped into the Midwestern softball, beer drinking dad, overweight. And, you know, there's just these moments and I don't know, rock bottom's a dramatic statement, but there's these moments where you kind of look in the mirror and you're like, is this what we've become? Is this where we're at? And, you know, I think the really cool thing is there's a, there's a victim mentality out there in the world and there's a, whoever's president, you know, dictates my life or taxes or policy or whatever. And I just think a lot of that is bullshit. I think a lot of it is based upon your own decision-making and what you want to make of your life. And, you know, it started with running. So I hadn't ran in years 
And about 18 months after that 5K, I ran a full marathon, and that was really empowering. And, um, you know, alcohol was part of the story as well. And to me, it was just more of a habitual, you come home, you drink three or four beers. That's what we do in the Midwest. I, I live in Milwaukee, so that's kind of the, the prototypical. You know, changing that cycle of my life and that habit has just opened up a lot in terms of not only productivity, but emotions of of life. You know, I found that you got to embrace life, the good and the bad. And if we're numbing it every day, we're actually kind of cheating ourselves a little bit. And then in addition to that, professionally speaking, I had this climb through the corporate ranks and I had a great story, but I was kind of plateauing. I was on my same regional vice president role for three and a half years. And I loved what I did and I loved the people, but I was kind of asleep at the wheel in the sense that it was so easy in some ways. And uh, I left the organization last year about this time. And I went and ran a a hundred person sales org somewhere else. And about six months after that, I got an opportunity to come back into my dream role with the organization that grew up in. And um, I think there's, there's some market validation that happened that, oh shit, maybe Andrew Metz is good enough to run our hundred person sales organization if this other company thinks, but you learn a lot about yourself when you go and do hard things. And really the fun is just in that journey and that next checkpoint that you receive. And I remember the day I ran six miles while I ran six miles. And I remember my first half marathon and, you know, all those things, it also creates an abundance mindset to go, well, what else can I do? And I'm 38 years old. I I still say I'm on the first half of my career. I think I'm just getting started. And, you know, I look at someone like you, Heather, to be honest, I found your story so inspirational. And the first time I, I heard of you was when you talked to Gary V and I can sense in your conversation that it was one of those moments where it was a milestone, right? And you probably look back on that fondly to go, here we are, you know, talking to someone that maybe I didn't think I was going to talk to. And I maybe heard that interview with you and Gary V three years ago, and here I am talking to you, right? So it's it just feels so good to dream and not accept just where you're at today as the final destination, but continue to push yourself. And look, it's going to be hard. People are going to doubt you. You're going to doubt yourself. People are going to roll their eyes and think it's dumb. I mean, I had people roll their eyes and think it was dumb that I was doing LinkedIn content two years ago, three years ago with 1,500 you know, connections. It was like nothing. And you could still say my audience is nothing, but I don't really give a shit. You know, it's, it's therapeutic for me. It means something to the, the audience I have. And at the end of the day, we write more of our own story than we realize but no one's going to do it for you. You got to go do it for yourself. Well, one of the big takeaways that I just got from what you shared is it all starts with one thing. For you, it started with saying, okay, I walked this corporate 5K. That's embarrassing. I'm going to try to run tomorrow. I'm starting with the running. So for everyone listening right now, just figure out one thing. Maybe it's one thing that you used to have incorporated in your life that was positive, brought you joy, and somehow along the way you dropped it. I remember at the end of last year, I had just let so much so many things pile up around my house. I had a new book coming out. I had boxes of books everywhere, papers everywhere. I had let go of staying disciplined around organization. And at the beginning of the year, I cleared this entire house out. And mentally, I felt so much better. Was it easy? No. Was it exhausting? Yes. Annoying? Yeah. Frustrating. I was all the feelings, all the not great feelings. But I knew that I would feel better if I could, if and when I could get it back to the way I felt proud about it, right? So it's about picking up that first box or picking up those first papers or or putting those sneakers on and going out for the run. Challenge yourself to do one thing today to get started so you can start on a, on a way to a better path. And quickly on the Gary B note, yes, that was huge. I'll never forget when I got the calendar invite, but I will say this, 
That man talked over me so much during that interview. It drove me cuckoo and I need to go back on that show, but I appreciate you saying that. Andrew, where can people find you? Clearly, you know a lot about leadership, leading yourself, leading your family, leading your team. Where can people get your content? Where where can they get more from you? Uh, The main place I live is LinkedIn, Andrew Metz, M-E-T-Z. You can find me on there. And I love interacting with people when possible. Scalability is a problem, but but at the end of the day, I uh, love, to, love to see people there and interact with them there. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for showing up as such a genuine leader. Thanks for leading for your team. And now I see why they advocate for you. Guys, follow <laughs> Andrew on LinkedIn. And until next week, keep creating your confidence. Come on this journey with me. Hi, I'm here to tell you about a new podcast that I am so excited about. Negotiate Your Best Life, hosted by Rebecca Zung, a part of the Yap Media Network. As a globally renowned narcissist negotiation expert and an attorney recognized by U.S. News as a best lawyer in America, Rebecca shares her invaluable insights and strategies for navigating life's toughest negotiations. By drawing from her own experiences and the wisdom of her high-profile guests, such as Bob Proctor, Mark Victor Hansen, John Gordon, and Rebecca delivers empowering advice that will inspire you to reclaim control of your life. Negotiate Your Best Life is all about how to negotiate your way to greatness. She provides practical guidance on how to break free from toxic relationships, stand up against injustice, and transform chaos into freedom, possibility, and purpose. Many times, the first negotiation you do is with your own in the morning. In the morning is when you wake up, and that's when Negotiate Your Best Life is time for you. It's about to find your way to greatness, conquering obstacles, and creating the life you truly deserve. Get ready to slay thrive and unlock your full potential. Don't believe me? I'm going to go ahead and share some of the reviews that are out there so you can hear and you can believe too. You have helped me so much these last few weeks. I was with a narcissist for two years. She drove me to the point I wanted to take my own life. Listening to you has made a massive difference and now I know what I'm with. Thank you, Rebecca. Now the recovery. Thank you for gifting the knowledge to believe in myself again. You have unknowingly helped me legally represent myself through criminal, federal, and civil court proceedings with a narcissist. There would be so many people around the world that you're helping without even knowing like me. You saved my life. Emma, 35 years old, Australia. If you are ready to stand up against injustice and transform the chaos in your life into freedom, possibility, and purpose, then check out Negotiate Your Best Life now. Subscribe to Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.